You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Man on Wire, which came out in 2008 and was directed by James Marsh. It stars Philip Petit, Jean-Francois Heckel, Jean-Louise Blondeau, Annie Alex, David Foreman, Alan Wellner, Barry Greenhouse, and Jim Moore. The genre would be documentary. Why did you do this? There is no way. I dream of conquering beautiful stages. Fear was in the air. I assumed that we were all going to be arrested. Everybody was going to die. If I die, what a beautiful death. And I know my fate has been written now. This is probably the end of my life. Now I'm going to perform. I saw this thing falling down. And I said to myself, he might be dead. The awe of the event, it was magical, profound. Everybody was spellbound in the uh, watching of it. Figured I was watching something that somebody else would never see again in the world. There is somebody out there in a tightrope walk between the two towers of the World Trade Center. Right at the tippy top. You watch the totality of this documentary. And it is very easy to come away thinking that Philip Petit was often a selfish, pretentious prick. <laughs> I mean, watching this with my daughters and watching him wax rhapsodic about those towers were made for me in his precious French accent, which I really can't do. At least one of my daughters could be heard saying, you know, he has a very punchable face. <laughs> and he does. His charms clearly did not work on everyone. And his overall story could easily be spun into a tale of someone with relentless tunnel vision towards achieving his dream who had no hesitation to put the lives of others around him in danger. Or at the very least, legal danger. So he attacks my non-preparations when actually I feel that I have prepared immensely. I think the longer we were there, the longer I was cognizant of the fact that it was a very ambitious pursuit what we were doing, we just weren't ready. I never doubted Philippe's talent, his prowess on the wire. It was the unforeseen things that really worried me. You know, America's a very litigious society. Um, you know, involuntary manslaughter, assisted suicide. I didn't want to be liable for the death of a friend. But to me, that does not take away from the beauty of what he achieved, nor does it take away from the beauty of this documentary. Petit is an interesting character for sure, but he's not the only one. He had lots of help. One thing I continue to enjoy about this documentary are the discussions with all of his accomplices from France, Australia, and of course the United States. They all saw this as an adventure to help him sneak to the top of the World Trade Center, to rig two sets of wiring late at night, and then watch in the morning as he traversed across that main wire between the two towers with calm and joy. Once upon a time... Now that's how you start fairy tales. And actually my story is a fairy tale. Here I am with a bad tooth in one of those uncolorful uh, waiting room of a French dentist and suddenly I freeze. 
because I have opened a newspaper at a page and I see something magnificent, something that inspires me. I see two towers. And the article says one day those towers will be built. They're not even there yet. And when they are, they will become the highest in the world. Now I need to have that, this little tangible uh, start of my dream. But everybody is watching, and, but I need that page. And so what I do is, under the cover of this, ah, I see the page, put it under my jacket, and go out. Now, of course, I would have a toothache for a week. Some of them stick around to the very end of the tightrope walk. Others bail earlier. But the whole thing comes off as a generally fun caper, portrayed nicely through not only talking heads and narration, but a library of photos that they snuck while in the Trade Center. Some pretty canny dramatizations, and of course the real-life footage of him not only walking across the wire, but gobs of footage of New Yorkers at ground level gaping upward in awe at what actually looks at times like this small figure kind of levitating between the towers. You really can't see the wires. Now, we do feel some sympathy for Philippe's long-suffering girlfriend, Annie Alex, who really goes all out to support him on his crazy crusade, only for him to genuinely betray her almost immediately afterwards. But I like how director James Marsh does not sugarcoat this either. There was something broken, probably, in, uh, in this friendship. doesn't matter, because, well, basically because we did it, and uh, basically... Uh, uh, I mean, you cannot take away what happened. And, uh, yeah, what happened is that... Uh, <laughs> there was a love story. Mais il était évident que, pour Philippe, une, une étape incroyable était, avait été franchie dans sa vie. Et il commençait quelque chose d'autre, une autre vie. Probably one of the bigger failings of the dramatic feature version of this, directed several years later by Robert Zemeckis, The Walk, was that it did sugarcoat Petit's narcissism just a bit. I mean, don't get me wrong, though. I did see that movie in theaters, too, and in IMAX, no less. And it's a fun watch overall. But at the end of the day, Man on Wire, which deservedly won the Best Documentary Feature Oscar for its year, 2009, will stand as the lasting tribute to not only this incredible feat, which as silly as it was, brought joy to all who witnessed it, but also as a tribute to the Twin Towers themselves. As someone who grew up in New York and had a very personal connection to someone lost on the day that those towers fell, but I was always in awe of them. I mean, I used to love driving over the Verrazano Bridge and seeing them in the distance. This film is one of the best tributes that you could ask for. Beyond anything you can ever imagine, it's just mind-boggling. The awe of the event and the overwhelming largeness of the scale of the situation took my mind into a place where I really wasn't that concerned about him. It just, it, it was magical. It was just, uh, it was just profound. This brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now, this film has an effectively elegiac score heard throughout from the legendary composer Michael Nyman, who most famously conducted the score for the piano about 15 years prior. This score always hits the necessary emotional notes throughout the movie.
But for me, the musical highlight is actually heard over what is likely the funniest scene of the movie, roughly about a third of the way in, during Petit's second visit to New York City to scope out his various options for traversing the towers. You see Petit and a couple of select others, they've been sneaking around mainly the unfinished floors at the top of the South Tower. And since those floors were unfinished at the time, he actually forgets that he's actually been wandering around what most would actually consider an actual construction site. And he accidentally steps on a nail at one point. Ouch. So needless to say, Petit has a bit of a foot injury going on, requiring a small cast and crutches. And this makes it harder for him to get around. But it also makes it that much easier for him to get into all of the more desirable areas of the tower. And why? Because everybody around him is a sucker for a dude in crutches. We all are. So they are opening every door for him. They are welcoming him anywhere he tries to go because they feel sorry for him. So while Petit is excitedly describing his fortuitous turn of events, using the crutches to his advantage, we hear a disco song from that era. Actually one borrowed from the legendary soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever, a movie which I cannot seem to stop mentioning on this podcast. Sorry, it's just one of my favorites. Because why not? The song is a fifth of Beethoven from disco DJ Walter Murphy, his funkier disco update of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It's just the right type of fun, period-specific sound for such a playful sequence. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, when it comes to most documentaries, the standout elements are often the interviews, the talking heads, the folks describing events and or expressing opinions about the subject at hand. And that's certainly a key part of what drives Man on Wire, including present day interviews with most of the key figures involved at the time back in 1974, including, of course, Philip Petit himself, who by 2008 had become pretty fluent in English, making the interviews kind of easier. But one aspect of most documentaries, including this one, which does not often receive the attention it deserves, is the visual presentation. And the actual visuals for this movie, a canny mix of still photos taken at the time, raw archival, mostly news footage, and some heavily shadowed black and white dramatizations of some key moments, which really do take it to the next level. If you could not accurately visualize this event, it just would not work nearly as well. And for that reason, I would just like to give a special shout out to Igor Martinovich, who was the director of photography for this movie. Martinovich has been at it for more than 25 years, serving as a DP for a variety of documentaries, narrative films, and TV shows, including The Tillman Story, the Netflix show House of Cards, and the recent Showtime series George and Tammy. The mixture of various stock for this movie looks both seamless and sumptuous, especially that older Super 8 footage of a younger petite walking on an extended rope in a French field. This film just looks great throughout, and when it comes down to the actual event itself, 
We are shown the full scope of what occurred, even with minimal actual footage of moving images showing Petit on the wire. And much of the credit for that has to go to Martinovich. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Of course, it can only be one critical moment, can it? Yep, it would have to be when towards the end of this shindig, we actually see both grainy footage from below and mostly still photography from over 1,300 feet up of Petit walking on that tightrope atop the Twin Towers, even laying back on the wire at one point to take it all in. Now, whatever you think of him as a person, or even whether this whole stunt was in any way necessary, this remains a transcendent event to witness on screen, all these decades later. And just as good, it's a kick to also hear how others responded to it. Officer Myers and I observed the uh, tightrope dancer because you couldn't call him a walker. Approximately halfway between the two towers. And uh, upon seeing us, he started to smile and laugh. They don't know how to react to a daydreaming wire walker laying down and dialoguing the seagull, so they were really mad. When he got to the building, we asked him to get off the high wire, but instead he turned around and ran back out into the middle. Everybody was spellbound in the uh, watching of it personally figured I was watching something that somebody else would never see again in the world. Thought it was once in a lifetime. And that brings me to the final category, the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As well-directed as this film is by James Marsh, it of course has to come down to the man who made it all happen and put his life on the line, literally, during that fateful morning on August 7th, 1974. Philip Petit has remained a natural showman to this day, and he still lives in New York City. He still does wire work, among many other artistic and non-artistic pursuits, including children's books, juggling, carpentry, and bullfighting, believe it or not. The dude is larger than life, and just an ideal subject for a compelling documentary. And that brash, can-do mindset of his just oozes through the screen, whether we see him or not. For personally sparing quite a story, and also being an adept storyteller in the process, Philip Petit is the MVP. No. Why did you do it? I will explain. I will take the time. You know, why? Why? And that was a very, again, in my way of seeing America, a very American finger-snapping question. I did something magnificent and mysterious, and I got a practical why. And the beauty of it is that I didn't have any why. Why did you do this? Oh, that's the thousand uh, why in this morning. There is no why. My rating for Man on Wire is five stars out of five. Now, this was my first episode devoted entirely to a standalone documentary, and I definitely plan on doing more. It also happens to be one of the more memorable ones, which I've had the pleasure of first seeing on the big screen, along with Free Solo, Hoop Dreams, Roger and Me, The Fog of War, and my personal all-time favorite doc, Exit Through the Gift Shop. Happy 15th anniversary to a true classic of the documentary genre, or any genre for that matter. And if you're looking to watch Man on Wire, there's actually a lot of places to check it out. It's everywhere. It's streaming on Prime Video, the Roku Channel, Vudu, Tubi, Canopy, and Pluto TV. And that ends another High Wire review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.